0: How do you boost growth with artificial intelligence? Welcome to Growth Masterminds with John here. This is the podcast where smart mobile marketers get even smarter. Our guest today is the author of the O'Reilly media book, Lean AI, which just launched this month. He's the VP of growth for IMVU. He's led performance and digital marketing for Raku. He's also led customer acquisition at Texture, which Apple acquired and turned into Apple News Plus. Lomit Patel, please say hello.
1: Hey, hello, everyone. I'm so excited to be here.
0: Wonderful. Super happy to have you here. Uh, Super exciting. You just launched the book. I have to start here. I mean, This is the biggest fact in our lives right now, coronavirus, right? Where are you? Where have you been locked down? How are you keeping up?
1: So, yeah, coronavirus definitely is the uh, the topic of the day, every day right now. <laughs> but for me, uh, you know, we've been uh, working from home for the past couple of weeks at MV, So we obviously were kind of prepared a little bit to a certain extent, knowing that this was coming down the pipeline. And we're very fortunate that, you know, we've been able to work pretty efficiently remotely. So, it you know, it's been working out. But as a business, you know, coronavirus has actually worked out really well for MV, primarily because we're a social network and yeah. it's, it's it's another way for people to continue to to connect with other, other, other users around the world. And for us, you know, it's definitely been kind of the reverse problem in terms of trying to like manage the increased demand that has really uh, happened over the last couple of weeks for us.
0: Well, it's super interesting that you mentioned that because, I mean, as we were just prepping for this show just minutes ago, we were talking about bandwidth issues and my typical audio podcasting platform was not working. You are a social network where people get together with an avatar and have social interactions, which we're desperate and starved for right now. Um, And so you've got those issues as well, having enough bandwidth to to deliver your service, right?
1: Yeah. So for us, you know, the challenge is obviously continuing to add more infrastructure into the into the server capacity because what what we're finding is is trying to figure out the right balance between users that are coming in from like the US versus users that are coming in globally and and just trying to sort of stagger as much of that demand as possible wow. you wow. know and then on top of that you know another thing that seems to be very popular with a lot of social networks is live streaming right that's a new yeah. uh, feature yeah. that has really taken off and 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 we offer something similar called uh host rooms uh, where people can connect with their friends and 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 host a live event and so clearly features like that take on increased bandwidth right because people are doing that live so so yeah, I think it's definitely a better problem to have versus the other problem that a lot of people uh, uh, are challenged with right now. But uh, yeah, definitely, you know, it's something that we've trying to get more proactive about and something that's going to continue to get even more, especially as more and more different states, especially in the U.S. and other parts of the country start um, implementing the the shelter requirements being more stringent so it's going to require more people being isolated and as you know as humans there's so much that you can do alone
0: (laughs) (laughs) we are social species absolutely so um maybe let's kick this off we're going to talk about artificial intelligence we're going to talk about growth we're going to talk about customer acquisition we'll talk about user acquisition all of those things but let's set the stage here for a second uh and and can you introduce us a little bit to your current role what you do
1: Sure. So my name is Lomit Patel and I, as you'd mentioned, I'm the vice president of growth. So primarily my responsibility is, is managing all of our growth efforts at Enview that encompasses everything related from acquisition, retention, and monetization across the entire user life cycle of, of pretty much the easiest way to think about it is how do we bring users in? How do we continue to keep them around? And then how do we figure out how to make some money out of them to pay the bills? <laughs>
0: It's super interesting that you're the VP of growth. We released some research recently uh, about CGOs, chief growth officers. And that, that's exactly the role that you have, which is this broad role across a lot of what used to be fairly separate, right? You know, somebody brought the customers in, somebody actually built the product, delivered the product that made them hopefully happy, and somebody else worried about how to keep them. You've got that full suite within your purview.
1: Yeah, I feel part of the challenge is when you have different groups sort of focusing on different parts of the the user journey, what happens is you kind of just run into issues around execution in terms of like, who's responsible for which piece of the puzzle. And, and one of the benefits of Any company that has a head of growth is that your responsibility is to sort of overlook the entire preview of really becoming the biggest advocate for the customer and helping to evangelize that cross internally across the whole company to make sure everybody is supporting that function because it really is a cross-functional function it's not like we have all the resources dedicated to us so we have to work across all the different groups but it's about ensuring that we've always got our eye on the ball which is about focusing on what are the key projects that are continuing to help move the needle to help the company grow
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that makes a ton of sense so in all of that with all the busyness of your job and other things that go along with being a human being you found time to write a book uh and you wrote a book about ai talk to me a little bit about why did you write the book what did you need to get out there what did you need to tell people
1: sure so one of the things that i've found so you know, we've been practicing a lot around AI and automation for the last couple of years at it, it It primarily came out of the fact that, you know, I really saw this as sort of being a a big part of the trend in terms of where growth teams are going to be moving to, especially now we have so much velocity of data coming in at us. And it's really hard to really be able to decipher all of that data as quickly as possible to extract insights that you can take actions on to really be able to differentiate us from our competitors. And so You know, what I started, what inspired me to write the book was primarily because I've seen it have a profound change uh, on our business at Envy. But also, I've been speaking about this topic at different conferences. And what I found was that there's not a lot of companies that have really embraced this to the extent that that we've been doing. I would say it's probably a small percentage of the companies, uh, less than 5%, are really doing this right now. And so I felt like, you know, there's definitely a good opportunity to really be able to inspire other people in the growth industry to really you know be able to leverage ai and automation because ultimately you know one thing i like about the mobile growth industry is that we're so open about sharing and, and growing together and so i feel like this is something that could really help us together continue to evangelize and move forward as an industry
0: very, very cool. Now, one of the things you talk about is you talk about customer acquisition 1.0, you talk about customer acquisition 2.0, and now customer acquisition 3.0. Can you go through the point O's for us?
1: Sure. So, uh, and, it, it, and it really sort of goes back to exactly the journey that I had when I started at MV. So, I started at MV over about three and a half years ago. And coming in, one of the biggest challenges we had was that we have a lot of user data but the problem was it was it was living in silos so we had user data because cuz we're a cross platform business so we had user data from our from our web business that lived in different servers from the mobile business that we were trying to get into at the time that lived in a different place and and ultimately you know it's really hard to make good Decisions when your data lives in silos. So, yes, before, <laughs> so, so, so customer acquisition 1.0 is really trying to integrate all, all your data sources because unless you integrate the data sources, you don't really have a good preview or a singular view into really understanding your entire customer journey. And, and once you have that, the, the good news is that customer acquisition 2.0 is to really take advantage of a lot of the AI capabilities that already exist with a lot of different partners that most people spend their user acquisition budget with. For example, Google and Facebook, as well as a whole slew of other partners, have continued to make some, some really good strides and investments into how to leverage um, AI to enable advertisers like Enview to to get more efficient about helping us to hit our goals. But in order to really activate that, you need to provide them really good, clean data signals. And so Customer Acquisition 2.0 is once you have all your data integrated, then you can start providing them the right data to enable them to leverage their AI capabilities to kind of help you um, hit your goals. And Customer Acquisition 3.0 is primarily the you know, the biggest challenge that I saw to to us as a business and any other advertiser out there is that how dependent you end up becoming on your partners to tell you how to spend your budget. And, <laughs> you know, I've been in user acquisition for over 20 years and I've never ever had a partner ever say to me that we should be spending less. But but on top of that, you know, the, the, the challenge is that ultimately I started thinking about, is there a better way? And And one of the areas where I really Sort of got some inspiration from was really looking at the finance industry. Because the way I look at user acquisition teams is ultimately we're kind of like day traders, where we're always trying to like invest the money every day to try and help our companies get a better return on that investment. And one of the things that the finance industry has done a great job of, and this is when they hired a whole bunch of like quants and data scientists, was to build these infrastructures and these um, um, intelligent machines to enable them to be able to get better and smarter in in terms of how to buy stocks and Mm -hmm. commodities. It kind of, instead of of doing it based on human, it was really based on being purely data-driven. That kind of inspired me to Customer Acquisition 3.0 was to really figure out how could we replicate that? Because ultimately, outside of like HR, in terms of salaries, user acquisition or growth is really your second biggest spend or line item in the company. So there's a lot of responsibility that goes into managing the budget. And so anything you can do to get better, faster, and smarter around doing that is something that you definitely want to focus on. And so Customer Acquisition 3.0 was where, you know, we're taking that same inspiration from the finance industry was to really identify, now that we have all our data in one place, the biggest advantage that we have over all of these other individual partners that we um, give our data to is having that singular view on how the business is doing. And that's the biggest competitive advantage. So we know exactly how one partner compares to another partner at any given time, in any given day, in any given week, in any given month. And so, you know, having that holistic view of, of, of the different channels and the different data we're in a much better position to really be able to leverage the key levers. Because the great thing is, even though these partners have created a lot of capabilities around AI, they're still very dependent on certain inputs that come from any user acquisition team, which is around Mm -hmm. bids, budgets, creatives, And goals. And so these were the things that I started thinking about automating. And the automation was really triggered based off on data insights, where we had all our data in one place to really tell us at any given time where we should be increasing our budgets, where we should be decreasing our budgets, where should we be shifting that. And the other way to look at it is it's all about supply and demand at the end of the day. We've been very fortunate that, you know, everything where we end up spending our budgets now, it's all programmatically done because Mm -hmm. that's what we started finding was that once we were able to identify and, and look at all of these different partners holistically, we were able to find that at certain times of the day, Facebook could be more efficient than Snapchat, for example, and Google could be more efficient than Apple Search. But the problem is, Humanly, it's impossible to really yeah. be sitting around 24 hours a day to do this, <laughs> yeah. but if you sort of leverage the AI capabilities to think like a human and to take predictive actions based on when those opportunities
0: come up, that was the big aha moment for us. What I really love about that is that marketers have had this sort of increasing sense of a lack of control as you've sort of shoveled money over to Facebook, shoveled money over to Google, shoveled money over to your other partners, and they've built their kind of black boxes with lots of AI in there and lots of intelligence in there. And as you said, the more data you feed them, yeah. the better they are at giving you what you want. Absolutely. Yeah. But you also lose control and you're actually feeding the uh, increasing growth or intelligence of that machine in the, inside that black box. What you've done is you put a layer of AI on top of that. And now you're saying, Hey, you guys get as smart as you want to get. That's wonderful. That's great. That's good for us. We're going to be smart overall all of our sources of customer acquisition and user acquisition, and we're gonna be, that's where we're gonna um, uh, beat our competition. That's really interesting.
1: Right, and I think you summarized it clearly, because ultimately, one of the things that I keep hearing a lot is that we have no control, but the truth is we do have certain elements that we can control, and those are the key components that you want to control. Because at the end of the day, all of these partners, the biggest thing they want is for you to spend more budget, right? And you get to control that. That it, It's all about follow the money. Right? You you get to control about how you want to spend your money. You don't have to sort of just be completely passive and just just hand it off. So the thing that happens now is every day, we're basically just acting like day traders because we're seeing bid shifting from any given partner at any given time. And what that enables us to do ultimately is have higher confidence that we can really hit our goals at the end of the date and end of the month.
0: So, I have to ask this question. We've seen some catastrophes with uh, turning everything over to the machines in the stock markets. Uh, hopefully that's behind us, but we've seen some scenarios where somebody bought, some systems just crashed because everything was going down, so they sold, 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 and now they put in artificial brakes to that. And there's other scenarios we've heard of where, you know, the machine just made a mistake and, and billions of dollars evaporated. How have you put in some safeguards for that yourself?
1: Yeah, so one of the things that we've done is very similar to what they do in the finance industry, where you kind of have like stop loss orders, per se, where you put in certain elements where if something goes up or goes down too much, it, it kind of puts a limit to how much it can do. And one of the reasons why we ended up doing that, you know, unlike the finance industry, because you can kind of go up and down in wild swings, but but the truth is, one thing that you want to keep in mind when you do work with all this stuff in AI capabilities of different partners is that you you wanna be able to make those changes within like a 10 to 20% swing in any given time. If you keep making too many wild swings beyond that range, mm-hmm. you're gonna end up resetting their AI because cap- they're gonna sort of feel their AI is sort of trained to be able to make cumulative changes. But if if you do drastic changes, then it's gonna sort of feel like it's a whole new campaign. It's gonna start resetting it. And then it's counterintuitive to the whole process. So that's that's what we ended up doing to help
0: us. That makes a ton of sense. Very, very cool. That's a great overview into what you're doing. Maybe dive a little bit deeper. Uh, What technologies are using specifically for your AI?
1: So for AI, Primarily, there's like three components to it. Uh, One is uh, mobile measurement partners, and that's where where we get a lot of our mobile data coming in from. A lot of our desktop data comes from our own data warehouse, so we use um, Tableau for extracting a lot of that data. And then all of our post-install user behavior data comes from Leanplum right now, so that's our CRM automation. And so... So, what we've done is pretty much aggregate all three of those sources into one place where we can be able to get that singular view, you know, and the way we're able to do that for us anyway, is that there's two ways we can kind of track. One is through email address, because everybody who creates an account at Envue has a unique email address. You can't create that, you can't use that email address again. And then the other thing is, every user gets a unique customer ID. So those are kind of the two elements that we can use universally to track the user journey, regardless of where they come from and then how they end up interacting with us.
0: Right, 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 right. Now, in terms of teams, did you put together an AI team or did you spread that talent throughout a variety of teams? So, what we ended
1: up doing was try and spread it around a variety of teams, but primarily one of the things that we ended up doing was to really kind of do a good and honest audit in terms of where our skill sets really lied. At Envy, and it was pretty clear that we didn't really have a lot of the core capabilities to really build something like this ourselves. And so what we ended up doing was to sort of identify as their potential partner or, or a SaaS platform that we could potentially leverage to sort of help stitch the final piece together for us. And what we came across was a company called Nectar 9, and they were like a small startup that sort of were trying to build something similar. But what, what they lacked at the time was really getting a lot of user data to really be able to train the algorithms and really be able to kind of uh, perfect the ability of of that mm-hmm. really working for like a UA context and so what we ended up doing was instead of trying to build this as you know John trying to build anything is a challenge anyway but then the other challenge when you try to build something is maintaining it right and so you know I, I didn't really want to go down that that rabbit hole so I ended up doing this partnership with Nectar Nine where we ended up sort of collaborating with them. And I was able to kind of help them uh, through my relationships in the industry get a lot of these APIs uh, integrated into their platform from all the major partners like Google, Facebook, Snapchat, uh, where we spend and where the majority of people spend their money. So, with those APIs in place, we were able to provide access for them to get the, all the relevant data signals. And so, they already had kind of the AI capability and the way the capability works is to use unstructured learning. So it's primarily getting a, a bunch of data coming in and then trying to come up with insights based mm-hmm. off on mm-hmm. that. And, and and then based on that, we were able to start training the algorithm to kind of work for us across looking at things holistically versus looking at each individual partner individually. And so the best way we, we did that was to do it step by step. So we primarily, you know, started passing them some data at the time when we were still sort of managing these campaigns sort of semi-manually with Facebook was one of the first partners we worked with. And then we started giving um, some of the data to Nectar 9 and, and see how the machine would potentially work against the way we were doing things. And it took probably about 30 to 40 days, but the machine eventually was able to train and get better and then started being much more efficient than us. And so we started with one small geography. I think it was like the UK or whatever. Then we started expanding it to sort of see if it would continue to hold and it started to hold. So so eventually we automated Facebook completely through this. And then we started doing the same thing with Google and um, Snapchat and a bunch of other partners that we work with but it was sequential it, it wasn't like you know just putting everything in there at, at once and in terms of the in-house resources primarily with my team i kind of changed skill set because one of the things that i found being a big challenge was really retaining people when it comes to campaign management because a lot of yeah. users kind of get burnt out doing that work anyway sure. And and there's always somebody who can offer you ten to $20,000 uh, more to kind of move to another company for that role. <laughs> and, 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 and so, my, you know, the part of my challenge and frustration was continuing to sort of train a couple of new people keep coming on. And so what I found was doing it through the machine and doing it once and then, you know, I never had to kind of go through that whole process of sort of building that skill set. In, in the team. And so, what I did is I pivoted the skill set that we'd had in the team to really focus on how are we going to support this machine? You know, how are we going to feed the machine, so to speak? And so, primarily, one area where we've really made a big stride on in, in investing in house is all around creative development and so one, one of the person that i have on my team primarily focuses on on really looking at all the data insights that come in from the machine to look at what's working and what's not working across the different partners that we're spending money with and continue to work with our in-house team to continue to keep coming up with new creative um, iterations that we can continue to keep feeding into the machine and we generally are testing now probably about, you know, a couple of thousand different variations of creatives a month. And, and that's wow. primarily because we've realized that's such a key lever now to really help us tell our story. Uh, and, th- and then the other part, the, the other role that I really kind of upgraded on the team was all around kind of retention and, and CRM. To really kind of leverage all of the data that we're getting now, but figure out, you know, h- how can we come up with better user journeys that are more personalized to users that are coming in from different channels? To mm-hmm. really be able to, you know, for example, you know, somebody coming in from Google and whatever creative motivated them to come in, we want to be able to provide some continuity on whatever motivated them to come in to keep that going, and then try to get them integrated into really uh, experiencing all the key aha moments on the product as quickly as possible and so so part of that role is really you know where the AI really helps is it, it enables to help us identify what's the ideal user journey or the behaviours and actions that somebody needs to do, especially around onboarding because it's key. As you know, on mobile, if you don't really get people hooked pretty quickly, you're going to lose them. Yes. And and so what we've been able to do is be able to identify two different segments because that's how we monetize users. One is around in-app purchases, and the other one is around advertising. And 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 generally, what people do is that they end up buying MBU credits because we have our own currency that people use to redeem against buying all this virtual stuff and creating these virtual worlds. And so, you know, there's gonna be certain people that are gonna be more likely to spend and buy those credits and there's other users who are gonna be more likely to take like rewarded videos, take online surveys, or, or, or interact with advertising to try and earn those credits. So our AI is able to identify pretty quickly within like the first 24 to 48 hours based on what people are doing or what they're not doing to really identify where they're more likely to fall into, whether it's the in-app purchase path or, or the advertising path. And based on that, then we start showing them different experiences that talk more to how we know we could end up monetizing those users downstream.
0: Interesting. So you're actually building your user journey, your customer journey, in some sense, through your understanding of who they are when they come in, but you're also customizing the use of your product based on what you're understanding. Is this user likely to pay something? Are they going to watch an ad or something like that? And so the entire experience is customized to how you're going to actually monetize that particular uh, cohort, I guess.
1: Right. And so that's where the part comes in where we need to work cross-functionally, like with our product team. And so you know, these two roles that I have, one of those roles spends a lot of time with the product team focused on how to optimize the product experience to match what we're looking for. And then the other role spends a lot more time with our marketing team to really focus on all of the creative development and the assets on how we can tell our story better to try and feed all of those back into the machine. And then You know, the other role that we have is primarily with our partner, because our partner sort of you know, take all of that data and 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 provide the insights. With them, you know, we have a chief data scientist that they have, so it helps us because we don't have to hire this person. <laughs> 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 but but what but, but what we do with them is we have weekly meetings at a minimum. But 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 part of their role is to continue to kind of look at the algorithm and and be able to tell us exactly what the algorithm is learning. And what kind of outputs it, it 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 it's kind of coming up with. Because one of the things we want to try to avoid is the biases that, that machines can mm-hmm. end up doing. Mm-hmm. And we want to make sure that, you know, that whatever algorithms we end up developing are in line with our core value as a business, which is around diversity. So we don't want to ever sort of become the the business that ends up just targeting a certain um, type of demographic or, or gender or whatever, where you know, it over-indexes in one area, because we want to try to keep our, our user base as diverse as possible.
0: That's super interesting and super smart because if the if the algorithm notices something, and there are biases in our society, and there are things that sometimes even unconsciously or subconsciously we do that are resulting in instances of bias or or discrimination or other things like that, and if your AI learns that, (laughs) we're replicating that in the digital environment in ways that are hard to uh, see. So that's wonderful that you're doing that. Uh, I'm also excited to to hear that you're repurposing some of your user acquisition people who and the machine does that now, uh, but you're repurposing those people for higher level jobs, which is really, really good. You mentioned as well that you've got some key metrics that you look at. I wanted to ask you about those key metrics, and I wanted to, you know, sort of second part of that question, ask you, w- with what you've done with AI, how much better do you feel like you are? And do you have some data around that? Do you have some numbers around that? How much have you improved? Sure. So...
1: To first answer the questions around what our key performance um, uh, indicators are, so primarily there's two goals that we look at on, on the growth team to really help the business. One is around cost to acquire a customer, or the CAC, and the second goal is around the the return on ad spend. But primarily, we call it return on investment because one of the big difference being is that we we when it comes to return on investment, we don't just look at all the revenue that that we're able to generate from our ad spend, but we also try to discount, for example, some of the costs that go into supporting that revenue which for us is like 30% rev share that you have to pay Google and Apple on in our purchases, as well as some of the creator royalty fees. Because we have a lot of creators, just like YouTube as creators, we have a lot of creators that create a lot of these things. So we're kind of like a marketplace where creators are creating a lot of things and then we're able to match users up with items that potentially... Would be interesting to them and and whenever somebody ends up buying MVU credits to purchase these different items we obviously make a rev share out of that but we have to give a certain percentage back to our our, our wonderful creators and so our bar is set a little bit higher in terms of you know discounting those costs and then when it comes to cost to acquire a customer that's pretty straightforward in terms of like you know how much does it cost for us and we define um, a new customer as somebody who makes a, a new purchase within the first seven days. So always look at seven day cohorts when it comes to that. And so just to give you some examples in terms of the results. So just going back to that whole example of the old customer acquisition 1.0, when, when I first started, You know, from where we started with our CAC that used to be fairly high to where we've ended up, um, been at customer acquisition 3.0 with a lot of this AI and automation. We've seen our CAC come down over 3X over that timeframe. And we've seen our ROI, the return on investment, go up over 3X over that timeframe. That's huge. But the best part about it is ultimately you know when you talk to a lot of mobile advertisers, one of the other things that people look at is what's the payback period right on your ad spend yeah. and so and so when I started, it used to be close to like uh five to six months, but now we kind of get the majority of our recoup most of our ad spend within like thirty to thirty five days
0: that must have a huge impact on your ability to grow fast.
1: Exactly. And so that's, has really helped us because primarily it helps to minimize the burn rate because, because whatever we're spending, we're able to recoup that money back pretty quickly so that, you know, it ends up becoming like a self virtuous cycle where, where we're basically recycling money back and putting it back into, in, into growth. That's wow. really helping us. Yeah.
0: Wow. Wow. Very, very cool. Those are great numbers. I mean, those are amazing numbers. If if you look at the customer acquisition costs that a lot of startups have, a lot of tech companies have, they're absolutely massive, including just mobile only companies. They're absolutely yeah. massive, spending hundreds of thousands of dollars a day on new user acquisition. And if you can take that down by a factor of three, wow. Um, and then, uh, wow, that's, that's impressive stuff. I wanted to get in as well. And I know we're nearing the end of this time that we scheduled together, but I wanted to get in as well some of your thoughts on the future. You've done some really, really cool things so far. You've got some great metrics. You've had some major improvement, but we're always looking to the future, right? We're always looking at where's this going to go? Where are you going with AI? And what do you see over the next six to 18 months?
1: Yes. So for for me, I feel the future is really going to be about more and more growth teams or user acquisition teams really pivoting more towards leveraging or building an AI intelligent machine that's ultimately gonna be you know, um, something that's gonna sit between them and all of these different channels where they end up spending money, whether it's around um, acquisition or retention to really enable them to get better, faster, and smarter about using their data because ultimately, it's all about, you know, everybody has data, but, but the data is of the, of no value unless you can really extract value out of it quickly. And then the other part to that is the secret to growth is really about just running as many experiments as you can to really figure out what works and what doesn't work so you can double down on what does and move away from what doesn't. And, and so one of the other things that I feel a lot more company is going to end up doing is just removing a lot of the human um, touch points or interactions into the whole process around managing and executing different campaigns. And, And it's going to lean more into these AI intelligent machines to really do a lot of that work for them. And I feel like companies, for example, Singular and other MMPs out there, They're basically becoming these warehouses of all this great data for clients. And, you know, ultimately, I feel that they're probably going to have some kind of integration put in where there could be these intelligent machines that maybe integrate into these platforms so that, you know, it really becomes a seamless experience to really be able to do it in one place versus what we had to do because we never really had a choice when we started doing this, which was to try and piece all these different pieces together. Because the problem with trying to put a lot of different pieces together is that there's, there's always the risk of something breaking in the process. Yes, yes. <laughs> and so the more you can have it in one place, as they say, singular source of data, the easier it is, right?
0: Exactly, exactly. Well, thank you for that. And thank you for this time. I, I want to also ask you, briefly, if somebody picks up your book, uh, first of all, where can they get it? I assume it's everywhere, but where can they get it? And and what is a, a marketer or a customer acquisition specialist or any executive going to learn from your book?
1: Sure. So, so the book is available at all the major bookstores right now. So, you know, from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target, Walmart, and a host of other places. You can primarily get it on all of those websites. And my goal for writing a book, and it's kind of written to speak to a couple of different audiences, primarily the whole idea is around, you know, it speaks to executives, whether you're a founder or a CMO or a head of growth to really help empower you to become a champion for AI in your business and, and, and how to do that. And and then it speaks to people that are more kind of at, at, at the director level or, or, or the manager level when it comes to growth and AI in terms of what are the skill sets that you need to learn to really get better at at, at doing this and and provides a, a pragmatic roadmap ultimately for any business, which I know, especially right now with everything going on with, with coronavirus, what, you know, a, a lot of companies – one of the big questions that they're going to start asking themselves is, how do we get more? How do we get better at operations? How can we get more done with less? That's always yeah. been a question, but it's going to be an even bigger question now. And so, you know, in this book, it really provides you a roadmap on how to do that, especially when it comes to one of the biggest spends where companies look to grow, which is around user acquisition. And you know, m- my heart kind of goes out to a lot of companies right now that are kind of going through a lot of challenges through, with, with the current coronavirus crisis. But I feel that one of the upsides of, of any crisis, is it, it forces companies to think differently about any problems that they're facing. And so coming back to my story at Envue, I joined Envue at a time when growth was really going in the wrong direction and the company really wanted to try something different. And that kind of helped me to really become the champion for bringing this in. And I feel other people that are, you know, in a similar role right now could actually use this as an opportunity because it will it would enable more people to really be open to the idea on how do you leverage AI and automation? Because ultimately, no business is ever going to end up getting through this crisis just by cutting costs, because cutting mm. costs isn't isn't a strategy for growth. You have to figure out how you, how you can get better, faster, and smarter around using your data to really propel you to start driving and acquiring customers. And so, you know, I feel the book definitely speaks to that. And, you know, this time is as good as any to really to be able to start having those conversations.
0: Well, Lomit, that's great. That's great advice. I recommend it. I recommend that book. And I want to thank you for spending this time with us. I really do appreciate it. Thank you for spending this hour or almost an hour with us on Growth Masterminds.
1: Thank you, John. I've been a big fan of yours. I love reading your stuff and uh, listening to your podcast. So it's an honor to be here.
0: Thank you so much.
1: Thank you.